Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to this New Year's Day service. And uh, today we are giving a little bit of an introduction to a series that is going to take at least uh, the majority of this year and might even spill into next year. We're going to be going through the gospel according to John, right? There are four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty similar, and they're often referred to as the synoptic gospels, and John is a little bit different, and uh, a lot of the stories that you hear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke aren't in John, and a lot of what you hear in John you don't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we're going to take this year, and we're going to go through this fourth unique gospel we think is probably around probably the latest of the four Gospels to be written, and we'll be delving into it, It, John's unique theological vision for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and his unique voice. We're really going to be exploring that. So, this is a setup for what's to come. I I hope you enjoy it. It gets a little bit technical at times, but um, it'll be helpful as we make our way through the year to kind of have this foundation. So uh, blessings to you, and I hope that you enjoy this introduction to the series that we'll be doing in the Gospel of John this year. Gospel according to John. That will be what our most of the year looks like. We're going to take pauses for uh, Lent and Easter, for for Pentecost and Advent and Christmas, and, and this is something that I have done a couple times. I mean, if you were here at all last year, you know we went through the book of Acts together. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did the story, which was kind of going through the Bible in a year. And I even, I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but oh, I don't know, in a past church, maybe six or seven years ago, I went through the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in a year. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot. (laughs) Um, And so I, which actually Leviticus was fun. So maybe one day we'll revamp that series and we'll do it here as well. Um, There's a, there's really long tradition of preaching this way in corporate worship in the Presbyterian tradition going all the way back to John Calvin, right? And so there's this, there's this story about Uncle Calvin who was the pastor of uh, the, the main church in Geneva, Switzerland, St. Pierre's. And uh, John Calvin would work his way through these books of the Bible. And he would be teaching. It's kind of what we call now expository preaching. And he ran into a little trouble. He got crossways with the city council, who were also kind of like head of the church in Geneva. And this is, remember, we're like just a generation into the Reformation, so they're still figuring stuff out. And they gave him the boot. 
He got kicked out of Geneva for three years. He went to Strasbourg, Germany, which he loved. And then almost against his will, they compelled him to come back in 1541. And the story goes that the first day he gets up into, uh, into the pulpit, everybody's kind of wondering, oh, how's this going to go? What's he going to say? And so he, you know, opens up his Bible and he opens up his manuscript and he says, uh, we'll pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 17. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it's a good story. So uh, personally, I, I really enjoy doing these kind of long, in-depth, sustained series because they do a couple things for us. For one, they give us a sense of continuity from week to week so that we can build on what has come before and really flesh out themes and motifs that the biblical writers are trying to build. Now, the downside of that is if you miss a week here or there, sometimes you kind of miss part of the story that we're going to be building on because the final exam is cumulative in this class. Um, That was my joke, yeah. Um, And so if you do miss a week, I would encourage you to either watch it on the podcast, or I'm sorry, watch it on uh, YouTube, or you can listen to it in the podcast, just so you get caught up on what we were talking about. Um, But you also get a real sense for the flow. You get a flow for what the writers are trying to do. You get to see how all these little pieces fit into the bigger narrative, that they're trying to build here, this story that they're trying to tell. And when you just bop in and out of these different stories that kind of are scattered throughout the the different books or scattered throughout the Bible, it can be hard to get a sense for that thread that ties them together. And the last thing that I really like about doing this is that it allows us to kind of dig down into the worldview of these particular biblical writers, their thought. Because the Bible, contrary to what you might have heard before, is not univalent and univocal. What I mean by that is that it is not one voice and one perspective. The Bible is written by probably hundreds of different people over thousands of years, and it was compiled and brought together. The Bible is polyvalent. And it is polyvocal. It speaks with many different voices. And so if you've ever noticed, when you try to go read through the the New Testament, and you start with Matthew, and then you turn the last page of Matthew, and you get to Mark, another version of the gospel. Right? Right there. Gosh, built into our Bible are four voices that tell the story of Jesus, and they're a little bit different. And you'll also notice John is much more different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we're going to be exploring that. We're going to really try to get into John's head. We're going to get into the worldview that John is trying to um, kind of hand us. And John's theological vision, the story that he's trying to tell us through his community about things like sin and salvation and atonement, offers an alternative voice to what many Christians assume to be the only voice. Hooked yet? I hope so. Okay, so now a couple of things. Um, For example, uh, I've done these series before, and in some ways, I I really love them. In other ways, I feel a little bit kind of manacled, like shackled, because um, 
you, you set a schedule ahead of time. Normally I do my planning the year before so that I know what I'm going to do for the whole next year. And as I was doing that, I was looking at all the Sundays that were coming up in 2023, and then I subtracted out Lent and Easter, and I subtracted out Pentecost and Advent and Christmas, and I was racking my brain at how to get all of John to fit into, it was like 28 to 30 Sundays. And uh, I just couldn't figure out how to do it. So I decided not to let the Sundays of the year dictate how quickly we move, try to force things there, because then you always end up skipping stuff. And you're like, oh, this is so good, but we don't have time for it. Or you try to cram it all in there, and then people walk out of here with kind of drool. you know. And I don't want that. You don't want that. So, for example, today, I was supposed to be covering the prologue to John's gospel. But I realized that I also needed to give you a little bit of an introduction to John's gospel. And if I tried to do all that together, I would be giving short shrift to one or the other. So uh, even though we heard the the parts of the prologue read, we're going to really delve into it next week. So we're already uh, kind of being a little flexible here. And I feel kind of bad because as we are talking about the prologue to John's gospel, this is uh, Kurt Singleton's favorite part of scripture. And he just left for Florida. So Kurt, wherever you are, you should have stayed, man. Yeah, this is, and it's really appropriate because this beginning part of John is usually read on Christmas Day. It's like John's nativity story, except he makes it kind of a cosmic nativity story, not just the the stable and the inn and the innkeeper. So um, the more that I looked at doing this here, um, I wanted to kind of talk about some of the, I felt like it was important that you get some big picture overview that gives us a little bit of a running start into the gospel according to John. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was who the heck wrote this book, okay? Um, Like like all of the gospels, I don't know if this is going to shock you, so I'm glad you're sitting down, but like all of the gospels, the best understanding that we have, nobody knows this for certain, but there are scholars who they make this their life's work, who are far smarter and and better read than I, believe that all of the Gospels are kind of anonymous. They are written out of a community, and there is a follower who is assigned by name to that tradition. Eventually, the community that produced this Gospel ascribed John's name to it to tie it into an apostolic fellowship. I think that was the Lord calling. Yeah. Speak, Lord. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, the, the, the tradition here ties this gospel to one of Jesus' disciples, John, the son of Zebedee. Okay. So they said, well, this, this sounds a lot like who is also called, uh, or the tradition thought was, the beloved disciple. And that comes out of some of the really early Christians around the mid-second century, people like Irenaeus. And so they said, okay, the beloved disciple must be, which, you know, I'm sure all of them were like, yeah, that's me. I must be the beloved disciple. The only one who can't say that is Peter, 
because he's the one who's named with running to the, to the empty tomb with the beloved disciple. And the, the writer of John says to make sure several times, and the beloved disciple beat Peter. Because it was important that he makes that. Um, and so, so uh, we don't know. We don't know that it was John, the son of Zebedee. We don't know that it was the beloved disciple. A lot of the internal evidence within the, the gospel itself kind of points to the fact that it probably wasn't. And John, the, the gospel itself, doesn't really make that big of a deal about the 12 disciples. That's one of the things that's unique. Uh, it, it really doesn't mention them all but once or twice in the whole, uh, in the whole gospel here. It's really not necessary to be an apostle, to be one of the 12 in John's gospel in order to go out and bear witness, to have apostolic authority. Think about it. Who's the first person that receives and hears the good news in John's gospel? It is not one of the 12. It's a woman named Mary. And she's the one, the first one that spreads the good news. So you do not have to be one of these 12. You don't have to be somebody special. What you do know is that somehow the author of John sees himself connected to the traditions of Jesus through this eyewitness account of the beloved disciple and the community that formed around him. Okay, there's a couple other books in the Bible that say they're written by somebody named John. There is creatively named 1 John. 2 John, 3 John, and then the book of Revelation. They're all claimed to be written by a John. And the story of these are the same as the story of the gospel. Tradition labeled those letters, what we call epistle, that's the fancy church word for the letter, as having been written by the same author of the gospel, according to John, but just at a different time. And John of the Revelation is Probably not the same John as the gospel writer. There are some similarities, but there are some dis, uh, dissimilarities as well, differences. And John, who wrote the Revelation, never claimed that he was the same guy who wrote the gospel. Okay, so that's about the authorship. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about when it was written. People really care a lot about this stuff. Uh, John very likely emerged out of conflict within the Jewish synagogues particularly after, this is a big date. You should always kind of keep this in mind. A.D. 70, 70. That was the year that Rome showed up and tore down the temple. That was the year when the whole Jewish world gets turned inside out and upside down. And the community that John was written for and was written in saw themselves as part of a persecuted religious minority of Jews within a Jewish community. They actually had been expelled from the synagogue. They'd been pushed out because they weren't lining up with the official party line with their faith in Jesus. And we, have, we actually have physical evidence like manuscripts where you can see somebody wrote on this piece of papyrus that the gospel of John had been written down and was circulating in communities by at least 100 AD. And there are other people who were commenting on the gospel by 150. So our best guess is that this, this gospel was written somewhere around 80 to 100. 
So we're about 50 years after Jesus here, okay? So that's kind of when this is happening. And now here's an important lens through which to view, because sometimes people, when you read John, you get the impression that it's anti-Jewish, that there's a lot of anti-Semitism in it. And so we're going to nip this one in the bud right off the bat. All right. So when you read any scripture, but when you read John's gospel in particular, you got to read it in mind of its context. It was written in a particular place at a particular time, a social historical context. John relies heavily on the Old Testament, and he always speaks about it positively. So he knows the Hebrew scriptures. He loves the Hebrew scriptures. In the beginning was the word. Sounds like another piece of the Old Testament, doesn't it? That was the point. When you read the very first line of John's gospel in the beginning, oh wait, I know another pretty important book of scripture that starts with in the beginning. And then Jesus several times in John's gospel says, I am, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. That I am is relating to the story of the Exodus, when God reveals his name to Moses. It's relating to Isaiah in the servant song, right? So he's drawing upon these Old Testament traditions. He's drawing upon Jewish wisdom tradition, which personifies, if you read the, the Proverbs, have you ever noticed that in the Proverbs, it talks about wisdom like it's a person, lady wisdom? Well, John is doing the same thing with God's word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. It's personifying the word. And John is also making use of, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Come on, somebody's heard of them. Yeah, I know you have. Yeah. Okay, so the Dead Sea Scrolls were written by this community, by the Dead Sea, uh, called the Qumran community. And they were kind of a, a little branch of Judaism. A little, a little offshoot of Judaism. And they had very particular uh, theological insights. It was a, a lot about dualisms, about light and dark, about the battle between good and evil. And John picks up on a lot of these themes. Okay, so, so this is making the case that like John is deeply embedded in the Jewish community. He would, this community would see themselves, and I use, I use John as like a person, but recognizing that it's probably a group of people that, that kind of put this together. Um, John sees himself as a Jew, speaking to Jews. And this is important because, right, John's been used to justify some really awful Christian behavior to Jews. And um, a lot of that language that John is using here when he says the Jews this or the Jews that is about the conflict between these two groups of Jews in the first century when the temple was torn down, and the synagogue became the center of life for the people, and, and they had to figure out, well, what the heck do we do now when we don't have a temple? And so they had to start setting down some rules here. And if you were a follower of Jesus, you were not part of how we were supposed to be doing what we do. Okay, so that's kind of like some of the details about it, and they're like really, really um, like nuanced, detailed biblical scholars who get into all that stuff, and they're wonderful, but I find them a little boring, to be honest. Uh, I want to talk about some of the themes. And so this is to kind of open your eyes as we make our way through some things to be aware of, things to be alert of. 
Okay, so right off the bat, John sets out his motif, the central motif, right in the prologue. And then you spend the rest of the gospel fleshing it out. There's a Scottish philosopher named uh, Alastair McIntyre who said, you can't know what to do unless you know what story you're a part of. I'm going to say that again. You can't know what to do unless you know what story you are a part of. Well, John tells you right off the bat what story you are a part of. And this way you can hold in mind in the prologue, we're going to go more into it next week, um, as you watch it unfold like a piece of origami that's slowly coming together. And I think the core theme, insight that John has, the thing that he lifts up more than anything else, it's the incarnation, which is appropriate because we just had Christmas last week. That is the celebration of the incarnation. When God took upon himself humanity, flesh and blood. And I say this meaning John is trying to tell us in Jesus, the person, heaven and earth come together. They have met. They have folded in upon each other. And if you want to know who the real God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the God of the Jews, take a long, hard look at Jesus because that's how you can know. And then the rest of the story is basically showing us that. John wants us to see um, this story of God and the world, not just as the story of one person in one place and one time and one culture, but as a cosmic story about the creator God recreating within God's world, taking what is broken and reforming it and reshaping it. It's about the way that the long story that starts in Genesis finally reaches its climax in this man. And the central problem that John lifts up is that God sends his word into the world, his light into the darkness. But guess what? The world didn't want anything to do with it. They tried to snuff out the light. Even more than that, not just the world, but God's own chosen people denied They didn't recognize who the word was. They do what the world did is they preferred darkness to light. And John says the law of Moses is helpful, but it's just a a marker, a signpost that points the way. It doesn't actually get you there. Just like, remember, Moses never actually got him into into the promised land. The law of Moses doesn't get you there either. For that, you need the grace and truth of God's Messiah, Jesus And then finally, another motif, another theme that John lifts up. Man, somebody is jiving today. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, getting a lot of, it must be a very active social media. Uh, John lifts up how Jesus fulfills the role of the temple. We're going to talk a lot about the temple. And we're going to talk about that mercy seat. We're going to talk about the role of the high priest. We're going to talk about the human vocation, which is to bear the image of God. Remember, I will make them in my image. Jesus becomes all of those things at the same time. He's like, he's like in music, a chord. It's not just one note, but it's several that harmonize together to give you an even more beautiful sound. And then the final theme that John lifts up is 
overcoming the darkness of the world. The chaos. In the beginning, the world was a formless void. And God ordered it and brought order out of chaos. This is John's way of giving us a new exodus event, right? God leads his people through the waters of chaos, defeats the darkness of Pharaoh, brings them out of slavery into freedom, into liberation. This is the story that John's lifting up. He's retelling it in new language. It's new creation, covenant language. And we're going to see that fleshed out in the months to come. So now, aren't you glad that he didn't decide to just go into the prologue for another 20 minutes? Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So we're on our journey, friends. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you on this beautiful uh, snowy day. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you of the gift of this gospel that has fed and uh, lifted up so many over such a long period of time, that we have turned to you through the gospel of John. Lord, may the words of this gospel be truly good news to us. May they give us a light that shines in the darkness into a unique perspective of who you are. Lord, may it feed us. For we're reminded that you are the good shepherd and you guide and you lead your flock. So may you continue to guide and lead us, just as Jesus the Christ did, for his first friends, until the day that he comes again. Brothers and sisters, we pray all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Hey, thank you for spending this New Year's Day worship with us and joining us as we kick off this Uh, this journey, this sojourn through the Gospel of John. I hope you found this to be enlightening in some way and and help as you get ready to study John with us. If you'd like to watch our worship service for today or any of our Sundays over the past couple years, we have them cataloged on our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and search First Presbyterian Church Ogden, you can find today's worship as well as many in the past there. And if you'd like to support the ministry of First Presbyterian Church, uh, you know, finances are a reality of the life that we live in, and it, it takes money to run this podcast and to do our YouTube channel and uh, just to make worship happen here. And you contribute to the good that we're doing in Ogden and around the world. You can go to our website, www.fpc, as in First Presbyterian Church, Ogden, O-G-D-E-N dot O-R-G. Again, that's F pcogden.org. Well, blessings to you and uh, grace and peace until we find ourselves together again.